Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Alhamdulillah. 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 Alladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakun lahu kufuan ahad. Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiru wa nasta'hdi. Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina. Man yahdihi allahu falamudillala. Wa man yudlil falahadiyala. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. Salawatullahi wa salamun alayhi. Ibadullah. Qala Allahu ta'ala fil kitabihil mubin. بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإنك لعلى خلق عظيم وبعد The great Imam Al-Ghazali رحمه الله about a thousand years ago wrote a text he wrote a book that was a compilation of letters to one of his students and when I say student we typically imagine you know somebody much older and much younger but this book was written to or these letters were written to somebody that had engaged in the study of Islam for decades, like 20, 30 years. Now, his student asked him a very poignant question. He wrote a letter to his teacher, Imam al-Ghazali, and he said to him, like my teacher, I've been studying with you now for 20, 30 years, and at some point, when a person engages in so much research and reading and study, there comes a time in which you seek the essence of something as opposed to the complexity of something, right? So something can become so big and so large to understand that really you just want to know what is the core, like what is the essence? So the student writes to Imam al-Ghazali and says, Ya Ustad, oh my teacher, what we've studied now for 30 years and I've learned a lot from fiqh and aqidah and all these subjects, but I want to learn from you now like, what is the core of Islam? What is the core of being Muslim? And again, he writes this because it's true in any subject of study, there are things that are more essential, then there are things that are tertiary, secondary, and those things tend to be a little bit more intriguing, but they can also lead to somebody becoming confused. An example of this is that if somebody were to come today, after this khutbah, after Salat al-Jum'ah, and, and, and take their shahada, except Islam, right now, right? No pressure if you're here for that. But if you were, what would the first thing that our community, what would the first thing be that you would tell them to do? Right, there's so many different things that people think are like really critically important. Some people might say to them, 
okay, pick a new name. Time to choose a Muslim name. Right? Some people might say, I know you had lunch plans to go and eat after Jum'ah, but make sure that you don't go to this place, this place, this place, because this place is not halal, and this place is not this, or this place is not that. Some people might look at the person and say, what you're wearing, the Prophet ﷺ recommended not to dress like this. Some people would say, your haircut is too short. You get the point. There's so many details that people might focus on, but we all know, hopefully, that there are things that are more essential, things that are more purposeful to the core, that you might advise somebody who just accepted or just began their journey into Islam. Like, congratulations, the most important thing is that you believe in Allah and His Messenger as the last messenger, you believe in Him, you accept Him, and that you begin to start your journey to reading the Qur'an, performing your five prayers. The person might ask you, hey, I heard this ruling about Asr time, which one is it, the earlier or later? Hey, is this, this is white gold, is that halal or haram? And you might respond in your wisdom that, you know what, these things, let's talk about them later. Right now, let's talk about the core. So Imam al-Ghazali's student is asking his teacher, Ya Shaykh, what is the core? Right? All these things are not unimportant, but the core is by definition critical. And he writes him a series of letters. And in that letter, or in those letters, he includes a beautiful conversation between another teacher and another student. And this is lesson number one. Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, is more than equipped to give the answer to his student. But instead of doing that, instead of saying, you know what, I know all the answers to everything, what he does is he directs and he defers and he indicates and points to other sources, other stories, other ayat, other hadith that can give the answer to the person that is asking. And this is lesson number one when it comes to what he's trying to teach us. There will be many times in your life, whether it's your friends, your family, your children, that you will be asked questions about faith, about Islam. The first test that we all have is do we have the humility, do we have the, the intellectual modesty to remind ourselves that anything that somebody is asking from me is not because I am like the most intelligent person in the world. They are simply asking because they need to know and I'm going to do my best to direct them to the knowledge, not to myself. I'm going to teach them that my Prophet ﷺ was the one who gave me this answer. And this, by the way, is its own form of a beautiful way of giving da'wah. That when somebody comes and asks you a question, you're able to reference that person back to the original source. It's number one, it's humbling for your ego to show that, you know what, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm receiving this from somebody who knows much more than me. And number two, it's showing the person that it's important to be connected to the source itself. So he's including in here a beautiful story of another teacher and another student. Hatim al-Assam and Shaqiq al-Balqi. And Shaqiq al-Balqi, he asks his student Hatim al-Assam in this very beautiful conversation, says, you spent many years with me, what have you learned? And Imam al-Ghazali is including this conversation to teach his own student that these are the core principles of what Allah wants us to know. So in today's khutbah, I can't cover all of them. But we're going to cover a few, maybe one, two, or three, of what Imam al-Ghazali teaches us according to his knowledge of the Prophet ﷺ's teachings, are the core understandings of this religion. Number one, he says, that, إِنِّي نَظَرْتُ إِلَى الْخَلْقِ So he says that, if you look at people, like I observed people around me, he says, فَرَأَيْتُ لِكُلِّ مِنْهُمْ 
mahbuban wa ma'shuqan. I saw that every person in life has something that they love. Every person has something that they are devoted to, that they are obsessed with. Right? For some people, it's their cars. For some people, it's their homes. For some people, it's their physique or their fashion or their clothes, whatever it might be. Everybody has something that they are devoted to and dedicated to. Now, the things that are haram, obviously we ask Allah to protect us and to remove the love of that from our heart so that we don't have that, right? But there are things that you might be obsessed with or in love with that are halal, right? Some people might be obsessed with finding like the best biryani in Dallas or like the best coffee shop or these things that by definition are halal. Alhamdulillah, biryani is halal, like coffee is halal, alhamdulillah. But the obsession can become problematic to the point where he says, mahbuban wa ma'shuqan, that this person has like a level of ishq for this stuff. They wake up thinking about it, they go to sleep thinking about it, and in between, they're thinking about it. So he says, I noticed that people have this tendency. Now, he's not saying this as like a statement of judgment, like, oh, I noticed that everyone else has this. No, no. He's saying, I noticed that as human beings, we have this vulnerability. We have a predisposition to becoming very, very attached to something when we're interested in it. And he says, He says that, and the person loves it and they devote themselves, they become obsessed with it. And he says, he says, and for some of these people, they're lucky that the thing that they love and that they're obsessed with, it accompanies them throughout their life all the way until their sickness, meaning the sickness that's going to end up being the one that takes their life. And then for some people, even until their actual passing itself. So this is an interesting picture. He says, وَبَعْدُ ذَلِكَ He says, and some of, some of this stuff, some of the people, they are lucky that they will have this devotional thing will come with them. I want everyone to think about the things that you love the most. What is the thing that you absolutely love the most? Now imagine that you get a phone call, may Allah protect us, that you only have a week left to live. By next Friday after Jum'ah is your janazah. May Allah protect us and give us good endings. I want you to think now, how important would that thing be to you? The thing that you thought was like the most important thing. There are people who order something and they're checking the tracking of it all day, right? When is it out for delivery? Is it on my street? Even Amazon now, they tell you it's 10 stops away. Why? To get your, your appetite going, right? People order a new car, delivery date. They're refreshing all the time. People buy something. They're looking. How can I fit this? Now imagine that in seven days your life is done. That vacation you were planning, that was consuming all of your time, that you stayed up so late that you missed Fajr the next morning, all of those things that we are obsessed about, what's the value now? It instantly drops, lower than the stock market, it drops. And you think to yourself, man, the thing that I was dedicating my life to, when death was brought before me, all of a sudden lost all of its value. Right? But other things that I didn't value, now all of a sudden became very important to me. So I was ignoring the phone calls from my family. I was delaying talking to my parents or my children. But now that I know that my time is limited, it's finite, which all of our time is limited and finite, but we just don't know when, right? But we live with this reality. Now that I know that, it's become much more critical for me to call and to say, right? Mom, how are you? Dad, how are you? Son, daughter, how are you? 
I used to tell myself that I would read Quran more often every Ramadan. I made that promise to myself. But then the months and the days and the weeks eventually passed by and I lost that himma, that dedication, that devotion. Six months later, the Quran is as dusty as anything else in my house. But now I'm told that I have a week to live. So all of a sudden, I go and I reach and I dust it off and I start reading it again. Right? So he's saying here that everybody has something they love, but not everything that you love will stay with you. Very few things will stay with you up until your sickness. Even think of your friends. How many of you, subhanAllah, if you just attend one Muslim wedding, you will see how many friends we think we have. Right? Like the wedding list, 600, 700 people. Crazy, subhanAllah. May Allah bless everyone for feeding everybody. Right? But then how many of those people, when you get sick, and there's like a weird lump in your body and you need to go get tests done, and you're unsure about your situation, the doctor is telling you that there's some concern, how many of those people are calling you? How many of those people are texting or calling or visiting, dropping off food, sitting in your living room for 30 minutes just to give you some dua and salam? How many? I'm not trying to make us leave here with no friends. What I'm trying to get us to think about is, are the things that we devote ourselves to, are they devoted back to us? Right? So he's saying here that from your circle of beloved, the circle gets smaller when you get sick. And then eventually when you die, how many of those people are the ones that are lowering you into the, the, the burial place? And how many of them are praying at your janazah? And how many of them are waiting for you? And they're waiting and they're sitting and they're making dua before the angels come to ask those questions. What Imam al-Ghazali is trying to illustrate here is that that circle shrinks, shrinks, shrinks and gets small. Eventually, it almost turns into nothing. And then he says, subhanAllah, he says, Everything when you are in that state, everything when you are there by yourself, it leaves you. You're by yourself, completely alone. He says, Nothing is going to enter that grave with you. You're by yourself. He says, I thought to myself and I said, he said, this isn't right. He said, the things that I love so much, you would think that when you're lonely, they would be the ones to keep you company. Like the definition of a true friend is that when you are at your worst, when you are at your greatest point of need, who is the shoulder that you can cry on? Who's the one that you can call? Those are the closest friends you have. So he's saying, it's so interesting. I live my life, decades, 50, 60 years of my life, and I gave so much of the love that I had in my heart for something, and now I'm sitting in the barzakh, my soul is alive, and I'm wondering who even remembers my name? Who even utters me in their dua? And he said, I realized very little. So I gave myself to my colleagues, my coworkers, and everybody around me, and nobody thought of me. He says, the best friend would be the one that would be with you in that state. So he says, فَمَا وَجَدْتُهُ إِلَّا الْأَعْمَالُ الصَّالِحَةِ He says, I realized that my best friend, my companion, that's going to be the deeds that I did that were good in this life. Those are the ones that are going to come with me. So he says, فَأَخَذْتُهَا مَحْبُوبًا لِي So I made doing good deeds my most beloved thing. Like, I love going out and having food with my friends. I love vacationing with my family on the beach. I love all of this. 
This is all natural. We love it. But he said, there was nothing sweeter to me in my life than when my forehead touched the ground in worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that moment, as short and brief as it might be compared to the dinner parties and the vacations and all of that, as short as it might be, that's going to be the one that's going to be with me in the darkest point of my existence when I need some illumination. That's the one. So instead of rushing through prayer to get back to the party, I'm going to rush through the conversation at the party so I can get to my salah. Because my priorities have changed. So he says, It will become my light in my grave. That it will be there to give me that hope that I need, that motivation that I will need, and will never abandon me therein. So lesson number one, when this student asks his teacher, like, what's the... What's the core of all this Islam that we practice? What's the core? The core, number one, is to fall in love with worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the good deeds that you do are the sweetest things that you can think of. Like out of every moment. Now this doesn't mean, again, that when our friends call us or our family is, you know, my son, Baba, do you want to go play outside? I say, no, 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 I have to pray only. That's it. Why? Because we have an example in the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu We have an example in his life that what? That he was able, subhanAllah, with his spirituality, his spirituality never contested with his responsibility to his family. In fact, he was able to, sallallahu alayhi wa make his day-to-day something that was invested into his spiritual state. So he would spend time with his family with the intention of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu says that spending money on your family is considered sadaqah. I'm sorry to give that one to your children. Right? I just set you up for the post-Jummah toy shopping. He said that the sadaqah of a person on their family, or the, I'm sorry, the spending of a person on their family is sadaqah. This is hadith, authentic hadith. So why is the Prophet teaching us this? Because there is an intention and a modality that a person exists in in which everything they do can become a good deed. Even sleeping, even eating, even getting dressed in the morning, even taking a shower, even using the bathroom. All of this stuff, if a person comes at it with the intention of shukr and ibadah to Allah, everything can engage in this reality. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that. The next that he gives, and we'll finish here, subhanAllah, there's eight, I can only do two. He says, Number two, he says, uh, that I looked around at people and he says uh, that these people they follow their desires they, they have desires and they are just attached to those desires that these people they basically follow their desires and those desires become the actual like reasons for their existence Okay, and they become completely and totally absorbed by that. So he says, I realized and I remembered that even though all of us have desires, it's natural. He says that, subhanAllah, Allah says in the Quran, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَىٰ That he says Allah gave us this very beautiful challenge where he told us, عز وجل, that for the person 
that has reverence and awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's status in their life, like if a person recognizes who Allah is, and they hold themselves back, and they're able, as a result of that recognition, they're able to hold themselves back, فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى He says that, that person Allah Ta'ala will give them Jannah as their abode. And he says, I realized the Qur'an was true. So what did he say? He said, I rushed and I raced to go against my desire and my inclination. This is interesting. Everyone, he says, has inclinations. But then he said, Allah put an interesting condition in the Qur'an, a challenge. If you can fight always indulging yourself, and you can hold back about what your nafs wants, then Jannah is going to be easy for you. It's going to be right there in your reach. So he says, I began to go against my desires, and I, I began to go against what I wanted. And he says, and I worked really hard at that, and I became eventually somebody that my desires ended up being only pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does this mean? Every single person has the desire for sleep, especially if you have children. Every single person has a desire to eat. Every single person has a desire to buy, to shop, to acquire, to get money. Right? Allah said in the Quran. You love money. Nobody, when they're offered wealth, turns it down. Look at the stimulus checks that people got. Nobody turns that stuff down, subhanAllah. But there is a limit for every person in what we want becoming a distraction against what we need to do. That the sleep that we have, Allah says, go ahead, sleep. I, we made the night as a cover. We made the night as a place of rest. But when it's time to wake up and pray, it's time to wake up and pray. Go ahead and eat. But just don't eat these certain things. And when it's time to fast in Ramadan, don't eat during these certain times. Right? Go ahead and spend. But every year you have what? Zakat. You have to make sure that you don't only spend on yourself, but you give zakat and give sadaqah. This is part of your responsibility. So it's our job as Muslims that when our desires bump up against what the sharia says, Allah says that we have to do, that we're able to fight against ourselves in those moments. That we're able to fight against ourselves. And we're able to say, you know what? I'm not going to be a person that uses my desires against the one who gave me the blessings in the first place. So he fought against himself and he really went against himself and he said eventually what happens at the end of that long road is that your heart, the desire you have is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ramadan is a great example of this. In Ramadan we fast instead of eat. We stay awake instead of sleep. We give charity instead of shop. Your entire life is like flipped backwards compared to what you're used to doing, right? So all day you don't eat or drink. All night, you either get very little sleep, if any at all, or you're in the masjid or whatnot, you're reading Quran at home. And then all day, as you're thinking about shopping, you see constant ads for charity and sadaqah because it's one of the best times to give. We do all of those things at much higher levels than the rest of the year. And at the end of the month, what happens? On the last night of Ramadan, the last 10 nights, as the days are concluding, we start to get emotional. People start to say, our beloved guest is leaving us. Even talking about it now is giving me goosebumps. Because you don't want Ramadan to leave. You love the month of Ramadan. But that's interesting because Ramadan includes everything that doesn't please your nafs. 
Ramadan literally includes everything that goes against your nafs. Don't eat, don't sleep, and give your money away. Who would think that at the end of that list of ingredients, there would be love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? But this is an example of what it means when you conquer yourself. And he said here that at the core of Islam, at the core of this deen, is being able to look at yourself, look at your nafs, and see what, it's, what it wants, and to say no. To, see, to hear the alarm for Fajr in the morning, and to have your hand reach for the snooze button, and then you pull it back. That's the core of what it means to fight yourself. To want to eat more, or to want to not fast, and to say, no, I'm doing this for Allah. To look at something that's haram, and to avert your eyes away, because why? This is for Allah. Nobody knows that I'm doing this, but I'm looking because Allah Ta'ala knows that I'm doing this. And he says, at the end of this road of struggle and mujahada, you find what? You find contentment in being a servant of Allah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that contentment and more. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to allow us to have all of the characteristics that we've heard. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us obedience to Him and to His Messenger. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-anbiya wa al-musleen Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een Brothers and sisters, to conclude this khutbah today there is, a, there is a deep moment in the life of every person where they have to ask themselves what the quality of their faith is You know, as children, our job for our children is to teach and train to worship and to obey and to follow Islam to the best of their ability but there comes a point in the life of even every child, and it seems like that age is getting earlier and earlier. It used to be college, I think now maybe it's middle school, subhanAllah, where every young person has to understand that this faith and this deen is ultimately what's best for their existence, not a hindrance, but something that is a blessing. If we can't have conversations like the one that the Imam Al-Ghazali is giving us in this conversation today with our young people to teach them about the beauty and the devotion of Islam and Iman for Allah, and we make it all about the exterior tertiary items, we end up falling into a really difficult state later on in life, where everybody knows all the different nuances of how to slaughter a cow, or what they can or can't eat, or, or what is a valid or invalid wudu, but we don't have people who truly love to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and truly love to read the Qur'an, and truly love to engage with their faith. My advice to myself and everybody here is to think deeply about the core principles of why we practice this faith, and to try your best to hand those over to those people in your life, particularly your family and your friends. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us successful in this endeavor. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to bless everybody in this gathering. We ask every, Allah Ta'ala to bless everybody who's not here. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give shifat to those who are sick, to forgive those who have passed away. We ask Allah Ta'ala to put barakah in our families and our homes. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless all of our endeavors. We ask Allah Ta'ala to uplift us from any difficulty that we are in. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to uplift the ummah from those that are oppressing them we ask Allah Ta'ala to give us victory against those who try to cause us harm. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to instill faith within our hearts and the hearts of those that we love. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to make him and his messenger and his book and the sunnah of his messenger the most beloved things to us.
ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم في العالمين انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم في العالمين انك حميد مجيد ان الله يأمر بالعدل والاحسان وايتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اقيموا الصلاه